0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Let us go to the Lord and ask for his help. Almighty Father, we give you thanks and praise that you are the one who has given us not just this revelation of this world to be able to see your might and power, but you have given us your word to light our path before us we pray that your word would take deep roots within our souls, that the word of Christ would dwell in us richly, that we would be taught from your word, that we would be admonished from your word, that we might also be able to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom that comes from above. Lord, as we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with one another, that we might be able to see your glorious promises found in your special revelation. Lord, we do so with thankfulness within our hearts towards you, the one who has purchased us with his blood. pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word, Lord, from Genesis chapter 44. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. Then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money and for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his servant, Up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? It is not from this... That the Lord drinks, and by this, that he practices divination. You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. And they said to him, Why does my Lord speak such these wor- such words as these? Far be it from your servant to do such a thing. Behold the money that we found in the mouth of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then? Could we steal silver and gold from the Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. And we also will be my Lord's servants. And he said, Let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. And he searched beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. The cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. When they fell down, they fell before him on the ground, to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know? that a man like me can indeed practice divination. And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose cup hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant but as for you go up in peace to your father then judah went up to him and said oh my lord please let your servant speak a word to in my lord's ears and let not your anger burn against your servant for you are like pharaoh himself my lord asked his servant saying have you a father or a brother And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an older man, and a younger brother, a child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he is left alone, is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servant, bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. And you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. When our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me. And I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces. And I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, the boy, and the boy is not with us, then, as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will be, bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. And your servant became a pledge of safety, For the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy, as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Tests. A dreaded word for any time, any student, anybody really. No one looks forward to having a test. Several in my life come to mind when I think about tests. The first is my first exam in seminary. I went through high school pretty easily. Didn't really need to study that much. But then I entered into seminary, and this is a whole different story. Now, I studied, but I didn't obviously study the right things when I went in for my first exam. I left that exam thinking, maybe seminary is not for me. Maybe I'll just continue to build houses. I thought, maybe if I was to do this class again, if I was to fail the first time and to do it again, then at least the second time I would have a bit of an understanding of what I was getting myself into. This was the first exam that comes to mind. The second was my ordination exam. I've been examined for ordination in two different denominations. You can see my study guide if you like. I was a lot more prepared for that exam than I was for my first seminary exam. But the point of these two tests and examinations was very clear. To see if the person is competent, understanding and knowledgeable in a certain area, For seminary, it was to see if you had learned what they had taught. After going through all those classes, did you learn anything? The second, for ordination, was to ensure that I was prepared and competent for ministry. That I understood mainly about the Bible, PCA history, and other things like this. But you're tested in something to be able to see if you're competent in an area. Either that you have learned something that you should have learned. Or that you are knowledgeable in an area in which you are going into. Same like this. I'm grateful that people have to go through tests to be able to drive a car. Although I think many people pass these tests that should not pass these tests. To be able to be competent in that area. Before you drive a car you need to be able to pass some written test. And here Josephs have been in Egypt... Since he was 17 years old, there were two years into the famine, he started serving Pharaoh when he was 30 years old, so he's 39 years old at this point. He'd lived in Egypt longer than his birthplace, and now is an opportunity for Joseph to be able to test, and that's what we see first in this first half of this passage, Joseph's testing in verses 1 to 17, Joseph's testing in 1 to 17. Now, his brothers, the very first time they came to Egypt, they made a very uh, serious claim that they are honest men. They were accused of being spies, and they said, no, we are not spies, we are brothers. We are not from a nation, we are just from one small family, but we are honest men. Thus brings up this trial and this testing in which is going to go through, and make this claim that they have a younger brother. This is the ultimate test they must go through. To be able to prove that they are honest men, they must reveal this younger brother to them. But here we see Joseph puts them to the test, and it's not so much to be able to reveal themselves as what if they're honest men. Joseph knows who they are, and he wants to be able to understand if they are changed men. Has anything changed since he was 17 years old and they cast him into the pit? Have they learned their lesson? Or are they just saying the right words to be able to get what they want? And last time when we looked at verse uh, chapter 43, we saw this life and death situation. Now they're back in the land of Canaan. The brothers are in the land of Canaan. And they have but few rations left. But we saw stubborn Jacob, not willing to be able to go send his brother, his son, Benjamin... But eventually he uttered this truth in verse 14. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back uh, you, uh, your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. He put things back into God's hands. If all of my sons were to die, then that is the case. Lord, I trust you. So the brothers leave, they come back to Egypt. Now they come back with Benjamin. We saw the last part of chapter 43, this joyous occasion of which they celebrated. But in comes this test. Joseph is seeking to be able to recreate what has happened to him before when he was 17. Now we don't get to the specifically the motives behind what He does, what his uh, motives are behind this test, but we see from the last two verses of chapter 43 and the first two verses of chapter 44, a focus on who he is testing and why he is doing so. We see in verse 33 of chapter 43, and he sat before them, the firstborn according to the birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at each other in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. Then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sack with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. Although we cannot see specifically the motive it is has not mentioned his rationale, his thinking, but we can see some forms of patterns in here. These couple of things that are focused on. It is Benjamin who is highlighted and focused on in both of Joseph's tests. The first is the portions, giving him five times as much as his brothers. But it's also then the youngest, Benjamin again, who has now placed the silver cup in to his sack. The Joseph test centers around Benjamin, whom Joseph saw to be able to come and bring him before. This claim about their honest men having this younger brother. This test around Benjamin, whom he weeped about before in chapter 43, who he will weep again with in chapter 45, this special relationship between him. It's close, brother, you might say, from the same mother. Now we must assume that this motive is not out of spiteful vengeance. That he does so to be able to test his brothers. Maybe he tests them because if he thinks he reveals himself to them again. I am Joseph. Then they'll be taken back to that jealousy and once more want him dead. So Joseph has laid his trap, so to say. That's probably the wrong terminology, but you understand. And he gives his servants further instructions. that They're there to go up to them and ask them, why do you repay evil for good? Good has been done to them from Joseph. Why then do they repay him with evil? Now this is an important thing when we think about chapter 50. I want you to put this in your mind to think about as we get to chapter 50 when we talk about evil and good. But they come and they, this accusation has been made to them. Why do you pay, repay evil for good? And they respond and they explain that, that they have brought the money back the first time. How could they steal from this house? Why would they steal from this house? They had their opportunity to be dishonest men. To be able to hold their money and not come back for any food. But they made this chance and brought their money back. Again, that claim that they made, that we are honest men. And the proposition is made. Well, we'll sell ourselves to slavery. The one who has a cup can die, and we'll all go into slavery. But the servant, obviously understanding, been told instructions by Joseph... And verse 10 explains, let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. So these brothers all gather together. They've had this joyous moment in Egypt. They shared stories, laughed together. And finally, they put their sacks down. The time of testing, the time to see if what they say is true. And they searched the bags, and you can imagine this in any form of drawn-out TV or children's book. They went to Simeon, and it wasn't in Simeon's bag, and continued down the line. But finally, they get to the youngest. Verse 14, they get to the youngest, and where was the cup to be found? In Benjamin's sack. The thing that Jacob had dreaded had come to reality. Benjamin. They said, Whoever has the cup shall die. But here is Benjamin. Now he has the cup in his sack. As they return back to Egypt, they meet with Joseph. We find out the weight of guilt which is upon the brothers. Joseph begins with a question and asks, What deed? Is this you have done? Do you not know that I am a man, man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah speaks, and he speaks for the whole. He speaks. In a court of law, you might say that Judah is the one representing the brothers, the family of Jacob. And what does this mean that Joseph can practice divination? There's many commentaries you can read up on this in more Uh, Full reality is a common practice in uh, ancient Near Eastern uh, cultures. Uh, Egypt was known for this, magical sense of divination. But it also can mean to be able to foretell, to be able to look towards the future and see what the future holds. In some extent, Joseph did this through his dreams. He was right. His brothers had just prior to this bowed down before him as his dream had told them. But it also doesn't mean that Joseph isn't infected or affected by culture in which he is in. So just because it records this doesn't then mean it's a requirement. The law clearly forbids divination. But finally, Judah is the one who speaks up. Judah in verse 16 lays out some questions, great questions to ask. What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. Now it's interesting here that Judah claims guilt of all of the brothers. He says, God has found guilt with all of us, with your servants. Now this is not the case, right, that... That it is only Benjamin who has been caught with the cup. But yet this guilt has been upon them. Ever since that moment, they heard the crying out of their brother. Genesis chapter 42, verses 21 to 22 explain, As they return, said to one another, In truth we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They sit here and they believe this event is coming to be because of this guilt of their brother. Judah confesses that they are guilty. That God has found out their guilt. He does not blame anyone else. He says, God has found out their guilt. Here Judah, who sold his brother into slavery, says now that we are going to be sold into slavery because of what we did to our brother. But Joseph is a reasonable man. He only seeks to know how they respond when the youngest is held. In verse 17, we're told of Joseph's words to Judah's preposition his, um, that only all the brothers would be servants. Joseph responds and said, Far be it for me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Here's the get out of jail free card. The test is set. Your youngest brother, who has been showed favoritism in this time, who obviously your father loves the most, can now be my servant. Just as you sold me into slavery to Egypt all those years ago, now is your chance to be able to sell Benjamin into Egypt, into slavery. Then you would not have the two favorite children around. But how does Judah respond for the brother's To this test, and that's what we see in verses 18 to 34 Judah's response. The test has been laid before him, the questions to answer are in front of him. How would he respond? Could he respond? Well, I can at least tell my dad I tried. Well, it doesn't matter. We don't need Benjamin, he doesn't do a lot. There's ten others. Doesn't throw up his hands. Oh, well. No, Judah gives a passionate speech. One commentator called it the most, one of the most eloquent speeches in the entire Bible. This is actually the longest speech in the book of Genesis. The longest speech given by Judah to his brother Joseph. As we see in the beginning an effective speech, chapter 45. Now, it's a great passage to be able to study in its own right, but tonight, let me just highlight a few main things. The first thing is that Judah centers his argument not upon himself, but upon his father, his affection for his father. Fifteen times here, in these verses, he mentions his father directly. And there's other references all throughout this passage. His argument can be found really in the last verse, in verse 34, where he, he states that, How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. This is his argument whatever the outcome is, do not send me back to my father without the boy. He explains that keeping the boy, if if Benjamin was to remain here, it would send his old father to the grave. He points this out several times, very bluntly and very clearly. At the end of verse 25, the boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. It says in verse 29, If you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. In verse 31, As soon as he sees the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. He does not have any more grief to give. He's buried his dear wife, Rebecca. He said goodbye to Joseph as he left to be able to go see his brothers, and he did not return. I have one left, Benjamin. And I cannot part. That would send me to Sheol. And Judah here pleads and says that he cannot return. He could not grasp the idea of the grief that would be on his father's face. The second main idea behind his speech, which is really his last plea to his brother Joseph, is his promise that he made his father. You could say that Genesis chapter 37 to 50 is the story of Joseph, and I think that's rightly called. But I think also you see here an interesting character development found in Judah. You see Judah go from one of the worst of the twelve to one of the best of the twelve. The Judah rises it is Judah who is there as they sit their lunch, as Joseph is crying out with the distress of his stole and begging his brothers to let him go free. As they are eating their lunch, it is Judah who rises the question and says, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? What do we gain? We gain nothing but if we were to sell him. His concern is not his brother in the pit. His concern is his money in his wallet. Then you just turn to chapter twenty uh, 38. Judah is not painted in a great light. His sons are wicked in the sight of the Lord. He goes and sleeps with a prostitute, happens to be the wife of his son. And here now we see in verse chapter 34 as we looked at last time. A change, a difference in Judah. In chapter 37 he would sell his brother for profit but in chapter 44 Judah will give up his life to profit others. He had pledged to his father Jacob in verse 9 of chapter 30, uh, 43. I will pledge to his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. This is what he tells Jacob before he leaves the land of Canaan to be able to go see this man in Egypt. Now, to say something it is easy. To be able to promise something like this is just words that flow from your lips. But to be able to do what you promised is a different thing entirely. And we see here Judah is an honest man. He does what he promised. In verse 32. He explains that your servant, a term which Judah responds to to Joseph. He calls him your servant the whole way through. Your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father saying, if I do not bring him back, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. And he finishes with this one plea. This one request from Joseph, this man, this harsh man that they have been dealing with. This plea in verse 33. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. Let the boy go back. With his brothers. The test was how would they treat the youngest brother who has been shown favoritism? Would they react and treat him the same way as they treated Joseph in the pit? We mentioned this last time when we looked at forty three, chapter forty three. The first time in the Bible where we see the promise of a substitution where one person will replace another. And here you see the promise fulfilled in that promise of that substitution that Judah says that I will take Benjamin's place. Now Judah probably thinks that Benjamin is guilty at this point. The evidence is all before them. I have no dear idea of the testing of Joseph. And here Judah is saying, I will take the punishment that belongs to Benjamin. See, many of these ties throughout the Bible you cannot but help connect it to the New Testament. Let me stay. Let your servant stay, but let the boy go. The test is complete. Time is up, pencils down. See that jo- Judah and his brothers were in fact honest men, true to their word, and would rather serve as slaves than to sell their brother into slavery. We see that this is this great love that Judah shows of his brother. Great love which Judah shows of his father. Jesus explains in John chapter 15 that greater love has no, has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. And here Judah is putting his life down, so that Benjamin may walk free. Paul writes in Romans five, For why we were still weak, at the right time God Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that Judah was willing to lay down his life, that Benjamin might go free. And that is what Christ did for us. He went to the cross to be able to die for us and our sins, that we might be free. Though while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, whereas we sang before, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Let's go to Lord in prayer. O gracious and merciful Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for the many promises found in your scriptures. Lord, that we that, uh, we see the shadows of Christ throughout all the Old Testament. We see these realities fulfilled in Christ. Lord, that substitutionary atonement that he came to die for us he died in our place. He lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. That we bear His righteousness, not our own. Lord, we give you thanks and praise. We rest upon this truth. We pray in His name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at SevenspringsPresbyterian.com.